You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome in to another new edition of Locked On Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, and this is the show where we go around the world to focus on all the new developments with your favorite basketball team. It's now Monday night, which means it's the start of a new week, and if you have kids in school or go to school yourself, it's sadly the last week of summer. Unfortunately, that also means it's the last week of Olympic basketball. Starting next week, we're going to be in the true doldrums of the NBA calendar. There's just not a lot going on in the late September when the players will arrive back in Houston and we get ready for media day and the official launch of training camp for this upcoming 2016-2017 Rockets season. But for one more week, we do have plenty of basketball to discuss. For today's show, I'll be joined by Ali Bajani, who you may know on Twitter as Rockets Insider. If you follow Ali's work, you know he's a very insightful guy when it comes to the X's and O's of the game, and he's been keeping a close eye on Nene, Sergio Yule, and Joe Chi during these Olympics, since those are the players that the Rockets either have on the roster currently or hold the international rights to. So let's go ahead and get Ali connected. All right, now we've got Ali Pajani, the Rockets insider, with us. How's it going today, bud? Good, man. How are you? Oh, can't complain. Enjoying our last week of basketball since, you know, the Olympics last, what, I think about seven more days. Um, Nene's run ended today because Brazil did not advance to the quarterfinals, but uh, it, was quite a, it was quite a run for Nene. You've sung his praises a lot on Twitter the last few days. Um, tell people why you're so excited about him. You know, he looks in great shape, and uh, I talked to some uh, Lizards writers who covered him the past few seasons in Washington, and... You know, they sang those praises as well. Um, he looks in great shape um, coming off a couple of injuries that he had last season. He looks a lot more lean, and, you know, that strength you could tell was there in the Olympics when um, just backing these players down. I think there was a game against Argentina on Saturday where Luis Scola had, like, nothing going on defensively against uh, Nene. Nene was just overpowering him inside, and um, that helped create a lot of offense for Brazil. Yeah, that's one thing that stood out to me, too. Of course, his you know, box score numbers look good, 19-7 today, 24-11 um, in that massive double overtime game against Argentina. But one thing I'm struck by is his defense. You know, he, he takes a lot of abuse because his traditional numbers aren't good. You know, a lot of people define defense through rebounds and shot blocking. As far as centers go, he's a so-so rebounder. He's never been much of a shot blocker. But he actually, he defends his area really well. Even though he's not a big rebounder or shot blocker, I would consider him a rim protector. And I thought, defensively, he looked pretty good, at least around the rim, uh, from the games I saw saw of him in the Olympics. Yeah, and I, I wish, you know, they had moved on so we could have had a chance to see him against the USA team. Um, but, you know, being said, from the tape that we do have of him at the Olympics, he did do a great job as a shot block, as a rim protector. When he's given a role as he was in the Olympics, he executed that role. And the best part for me about the way he played defensively was the way he switched on the guards. Um, the best example coming against Manu uh, yep. Ginobili with a few seconds left in, uh, in regulation, he created a stop. He basically mimicked his feet 
he didn't reach on Manu until he went up for the shot. Um, and then also in the overtime period as well, he he was switched on to Manu twice in one possession, and he did a great job of basically limiting Manu, not letting him go anywhere, making it pass it back. A la Kevin Love on Stephen Curry in the finals. So yep. you know, Nene is uh, one area of his defensive repertoire that people um, usually overlook is his ability to switch on to guards. And I think that not necessarily want to see that often uh, here in Houston, but I think when necessary, that that is one area where Rockets fans can be more confident about that. You know, you have two centers in Nene and Capella who are able to play guards smartly. You know, there, it's one thing to be athletic enough, but also one thing to play them smart and just, you know, force a tough shot. And that's what they did in the Olympics. Yeah. Um, the one downside to his defense, you talked about it on Saturday, is that you really can't play him other than at the five. He got burned a couple of times just by Luis Scola because of Scola's ability to stretch the floor. Uh, I think part of it's just just his age. It's tough for him to always get out on defense. But if any Rockets fans are thinking about uh, you know any minutes besides at the five, I, I think watching that Argentina game should throw a little bit of you know cold water on that idea. Would you agree? Yeah, and and you know there was a thought that I also had going into the season that you know there could be a closing run that they would play the four at times. I, I don't think that necessarily is the best option. I think depending on the lineups, obviously if you're playing a bigger team. Um, that, that's an option there. But you do not want him to play the four, uh, not against Argentina for the most part, but when he went against uh, Saric, um, I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name, uh, he, but who plays for the Sixers now, yeah, I know he struggled talking. big time. You know, it, it was, it's an athletic four who can shoot the ball, can create a shot, and they struggled a bit defending him. And, you know, that's one thing that was pretty, con- uh, pretty concerning for me uh, when Brazil did play him at the four, um, or when they match him up defensively at the five against him. And so I think that's one area of concern for Nene in terms of the defensive game translating with the Rockets. But all in all, I think his defensive game will help the Rockets off the bench. I mean, you're given a role, you're paying him about two two and a half million dollars to be your backup center, to basically play and anchor that defense for the second unit. I think he's going to do a great job. Yeah, you mentioned off the bench, and I think that's an important thing to kind of throw out. There's been a few people, I saw someone on Clutch Fans today pointing out, uh, arguing, hey, can you, should you start Nene? And if there's one thing that these Olympics have taught me, you know, while, while I'm excited about his performance, at the same time, it's really shown you the value of a fresh Nene. And, you know, part of why, you know, his minutes have gone down the last few years, now he's had you know, a summer of rest before the Olympics, and we've seen the explosion. You talked about that earlier, uh, you know, how he was able to basically abuse Luis Scola on the low block and how he could, you know, had more lift than he seemed to in uh, in Washington the last few years. So to me, while, while the performance is really encouraging, and in theory you could start him, my guess is that, you know, limiting him to 20, 25 minutes off the bench is probably the better play because it's going to keep him more fresh. Would you agree? Yeah, and, and at the same time, it's going to keep Capella fresh. You know, this is going to be his first full year as a starter. You do not want Capella playing 35, 40 minutes a night. I don't think you can handle that right away. Um, and it's good to have a veteran option in an A um, playing that role. And I think one thing I didn't even get to mention and one thing that's going to help the Rockets bench and what Dave Tony will love is Nene's ability to facilitate the basketball. He is a great passer. Yep. Um, you had some great vines I, I, on that I, today. Yep. 
Yeah, I highlighted that a lot during the Olympics um, on Twitter, and I, I think you know the best part for today is that he can create when he's back into the basket. Obviously, the one that's scoring from there. Um, but I think if you run a pick and roll when you when, when the ball handler slides it down for today, he has an ability to pass the ball to the opposite corner and create an open shot, or he has the ability to keep facilitating movement at the elbows, keep the ball moving, keep the helping the players move yep. as well. And I, I think if you combine all that, that's somebody that the Rockets want. It's, you know, they want better passes on this team, and then they clearly bring that. To yeah. Them. I think it's going to be interesting to watch him. You know, I thought Doug Collins, the analyst for NBC, you know, he was a little bit harsh saying, you know, if only Nene were a little more aggressive, referring to his mentality. Well, part of what makes him the player he is is just how well he moves the ball and what his instincts are. You know, I, I thought it was really telling the, the last possession of the last possession of regulation, that epic game against Argentina. Uh, it, you know, he was going in, he got the ball with three seconds left in a tie game, and he might could have gotten off a, um, a hook shot at the buzzer. I, it wasn't really clear to me because there was a help defender coming in, and I think Nene kind of felt him. But somehow, a big man going in for a running hook, out of the corner of his eye, he sees a teammate, you know, that's kind of open from five feet away, and he passes it. And unfortunately, the teammate uh, threw it off the side of the backboard. He was not ready for it at all. But I think that play kind of was emblematic of what you get with Nene. You know, for better or worse, he's a guy who moves the ball. And in a Mike D'Antoni offense, that's uh, that's a pretty unique skill set to have in a big. And I guess you could say the same thing about Donatus Yunus as well. You know, if you have Yunus and Nene, it, it looks like you would have two of the better uh, better bigs in the game as far as moving the ball. Yeah, and, and you know, Nene can move it one hand, two hands, he's going on the ball. Um, and like you said, you know, it, it's, it's something Dan Tony likes. Um, we'll see when Donato uh, signs or whether he does resign. Yeah. All indications are, like it's in the past, that there's hopefully something does work out. Um, but we'll see on that. But, you know, back to Nene, I think he's going to fit in fine here. He knows his role. Um, and I think that's the best part. And in Washington, he was paid. And given a little bit of favoritism, um, as some pointed out, but here with the Rockets, he's, he's going to be a uh, locker room presence. He's going to be a leader. Yep. He's going to be somebody who knows his role to anchor that second unit. Um, and I think he'll fit in fine. Yep. Um, and we've heard before little rumors, tidbits here and there, that he's excited about Mike D'Antoni's system. That's always good to hear. Uh, real quickly, before we move away from Olympics talk, there's two other guys the Rockets have the international rights to in the Olympics. One was Joe Chi, who was on Team China. Of course, Team China is no longer in the tournament. Uh, and then the other, Sergio Yul. Uh, I know Rockets fans hate hearing the name, but they do have his rights. He could still be a part of the team in the future. And, you know, Team Spain is going to be advancing to the uh, to the quarterfinal round and beyond, potentially. So, uh, quick thoughts. What have you seen from Yul and Chi? Uh, what do you think of their progress in the Olympics? So, Chi has a long way long way to go yeah. in terms yeah. of the NBA. Um, I, I think the biggest thing with him is his size. And not necessarily his height, but necessarily his you know, body weight. Uh, he needs to become more square. Uh, what does that mean? Meaning that he needs to add more beef to his upper body. He got manhandled inside by a couple of players. And, he, and offensively, when he got the switch he wanted on a smaller DeRozan or a Lowry, he could never take advantage. They would basically undercut him and steal the post pass away. That's something that cannot happen in the NBA. And that's something he will, he will work on. Uh, in the next few years, you know, that's why, you know, dropping international players, one of the best things about that is you have their rights and they can still develop over time yep. in those teams that they're playing in. Yep. So over the next few years, as he played for the Shanghai Sharks, he 
continue developing his NBA body, and then when, when the Rockets feel like he's ready and when he feels like he's ready, it'll be time to come over. But um, positives on him, he has great footwork. I know there's a couple shots where he just used his footwork to get away from a defender and hit an open jumper, or that he has his long length allows him to be a good rim protector um, for his position. So I think that those things really stuck out to me, especially when he played against the U.S., um, now you, um, I've been a good advocate. I know Ben, you have to for him coming over. I, I know he's not ready yet, but whatever he is, man, he's going to be a great guard um, on, uh, for this team. Whatever that is, yep. uh, somebody who can slash, who can create, who can shoot the three. I mean, th- this guy is great, and it, time will tell when he'll come. But I mean, Rockets fans already know what you can expect from Sergio Yo, and it's just a matter of when is he going to come over. Yeah, and I thought it was pretty telling that uh, Daryl Morey fired back at Bill Simmons. You know, Simmons had that tweet I, sometime last week about, uh, you know, why the hell isn't Sergio Yule in the NBA? And Morey tweeted back at him saying, he's just waiting to make the Luis Scola late career dominant entrance, you know. But I guess that's the upside is that if and when he ever comes, you know, seeing Yule play well on this kind of stage, you know, it may not be much of a transition for him if and when he ever comes. You know, if you get him, he should be able to play pretty quickly, I would think. And, and, and I think no matter what throughout his career, people will talk about, okay, how was he defensively? You know, sometimes they'll get stuck behind screens. That happens when you're small and nut. Yeah. But at the same time, he's very physical. He gives energy. He's a great playmaker. And I think that they, those parts of his game will translate, you know, perfectly to the NBA. Yeah. Um... Quick subject change before we wrap up this interview, because uh, I know you are always fond of talking Rudy Gay. Um, there's been one, <laughs> there's been one stubborn rumor linking the Rockets to Rudy Gay. It comes from Steve Kyler of Basketball Insiders, and I point out one stubborn rumor because I think a lot of people haven't done the actual sourcing. You know, there's a lot of aggregating sites that continue to, you, you know, everybody wants clicks, everybody wants to keep the you know, the news content going, and there's not a lot of news content these days. But, um, you know, it's not like you have seven or eight people linking the Rockets to Rudy Gay. It's one report. And, you know, if the price was low enough, would I consider it? Sure. But, uh, you know, I'm certainly not over the moon about Rudy Gay. You know, to me, it just feels like people see a name they realize, and a guy who, you know, he scored 20 points a game in the NBA before, and people are kind of, as you said, talking themselves into the rumor. So I'll kind of let you throw some cold water on it. Explain why you're not very big on uh, Rudy Gay as a potential rocket. You know, so I think Rudy Gay is a good player. I think that Sacramento, um, that he likes Sacramento, and uh, when my uh, coach Malone left, that that's obviously when things turned out. Oh, and uh, Rodney Divac kind of messed things up in uh, Sacramento, yeah. and then it's, he's been unhappy ever since. And I, I mean, there, there's no question that you know if he went to a better, if he went to a better team, that obviously, um, you know, he'd be much better in terms of his production, in terms of how he's looked at. Um, and I think that when given a defined role, he's a good player. But I just don't think that if he came to the Rockets, would he be a game changer for them? I think um, trading away is. People were throwing out Ariza and KJ. Now, oh. that's, that's terrible. Why would you trade away Ariza, who perfectly complements Harden defensively? You know, even guys like that, you trade away a guy like KJ McDaniels, who's shown that he's getting better. You know, it'll take some time, but he's getting better. You know, like, I, I just don't think that Rudy Gay is somebody that the Rockets desperately need, and how fans are talking themselves into it. Yeah. Um, you know, 
guy who's not a perfect small ball forward, as a lot of people say. He's kind of undersized to be a small ball forward. Yeah. Um, he only weighs around 230 pounds, and, and this is how he takes advantage of it. So when Gabe's best attribute is his quickness and size. But let's say a small defender is guarding him, then he'll take it down into the post. Yep. When a bigger defender is guarding him, he's trying to face up and draw a foul from the perimeter. And, and when, if, let's say you do make him a full-time stretch forward. You know, I just don't see a lot of numbers that point to him, you know, continually, you know, producing at a constant rate offensively. Uh, you want him to be able to be a playmaker. You want him to be able to, you know, move the basketball that forward, run some pick and roll. But, you know, I don't know how it's going to be like if he continually plays bigger defenders. Yeah. You know, I... if he's a, and not just that, not just playing him offensively, but also, you know, defending those guys in the low block. Because obviously, when teams see, oh, Rudy Gage playing stretch four, that tells me that I want to put a big guy in who can score in the post and challenge Rudy Gay so that can limit his effectiveness offensively. Yeah, one of the areas that worries me uh... – you know, he's a little bit a different player than Ryan Anderson, certainly. Ryan Anderson, um, you know, a little more physical. Rudy Gay is a little quicker. But in general, you would have two guys with similar skill sets in that their speed, uh, they're guys who can stretch the floor. Whereas if your rotation at power forward is Ryan Anderson and Mati Yunus, you at least have two guys who do some different things. So depending on the matchups, you know, you can mix and match, see what happens. Because I'm in complete agreement with you. You cannot replace Trevor Ariza with Rudy Gay. Because if you're going to play significant stretches with James Harden and Eric Gordon on the floor, and I think that's what the Rockets plan to do, then you need a defender to complement those guys. And so someone like Ariza who defends, can make plays without the ball, he's a natural complement at the three to James Harden and Eric Gordon. Gay is not. You know, you could put him at the four, but it gets into, you know, like I said, one, the fit's a little awkward, and two, even though he's a decent player, I just struggle to see, you know, how the teams line up on a trade. Because I think we can agree, the Rockets are not going to trade Ariza for him. You know, you could offer, you know, I'd be okay with, say, you know, Brewer and someone else, you know, Brewer and a middling prospect for Gay, but I'm not sure why Sacramento does that trade. Um, you know, maybe Houston would consider it because I'm sure Gay will opt out after next season, so it'd be kind of like clearing salary. But, you know, if the trade is as small as Corey Brewer and Filler, I don't know why Sacramento does it, you know. And if it's any more than that, I don't know that Houston would have interest. So that's where I'm at. I just don't see it being a, you know, I just don't see it being a fit. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and I, I think with Gay is like, you like to have the ball in his If he comes here, you have a guy who has the ball in James Harden. You're going to have a guy who's a secondary, you know, shot trader now in Eric Gordon. How are you going to fit Rudy Gay into that? You know, and let's say he does play that stretch forward like we talked about earlier. And, you know, he, he's he's an okay catch-and-shoot player, but he's not somebody who you want shooting that at a volume rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I look at all those things and, uh, and him just strictly playing at the perimeter, I don't like that. I would like him running, picking and rolling, passing the basket. And... I just don't see enough of that here in Houston. Do I think it can happen? Yes. Do I see it enough war- uh, that warrants him, you know what, that he can revitalize his career? No. Yeah. And I- that's just me <laughs> from looking at the film. But obviously, you know, Mike D'Antoni is a genius. He can do things. But, and, and on to your point, I, you know, as well, I don't see why the Kings would just want to send Blue or Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, I think they would want some decent return, some decent assets with that. And people are calling this cheap. 
I mean, I, I don't think thirteen million dollars is cheap. I think that makes around fourteen percent now, if I'm mistaken, at the salary cap. Yeah. That's that's not cheap. You, if you want a good stretch for, um, I mean, Rudy Gay is not certainly bad in any sense of the word. Yeah. But I don't think the Rockets are desperate enough to make a move. Right yeah, the the defense of the contract, you know, if you could get Gay to do what Ty Lawson did, which is, you know, basically make the last year of his contract non-guaranteed, and he might be open to doing that because, let's be real, he's probably going to opt out regardless. Everybody wants a piece of this higher salary cap. Um you know, maybe you can shed salary, and I'd be open to it. You know, again, I don't. I'm with you. I don't really see the fit, but uh, but you know, if you can shed salaries, you know, p- help yourself better position for 2017 off season, then you know what, give Mike D'Antoni a flyer because Rudy Gay can certainly be a well above average offensive player. Then sure, you know, there's no harm in trying. But yeah, it just comes back to I just don't see where the fit is because. You know, why wouldn't Sacramento just keep him rather than trade him for the low cost that would make a deal worthwhile for the Rockets? You know, I'm just at the standpoint, you know, if if the Kings want to deal him here for Corey Brewer and Filler, you know, by all means, I'd be open to it. I just, you know, I have a hard time seeing that happen. And if the Kings aren't willing to do that, I also have a hard time seeing the Rockets, um, you, you know, pay anything else. Um, Ollie, thanks again for the time. We went over, but I thought this segment was really good. Um before we go, why don't you toss out, you know, I know everybody knows you as Rockets Insider, but in addition to being the Rockets Insider on Twitter, uh, tell people the outlets you're working for and where people can uh, see what you're writing these days. Yeah, so um, hopefully in the next few days, within the next week, I look to have an interview with somebody who's been training with James Harden, kind of give an insight of where he's at and how, you know, how the training life actually is. Uh, that should be up on ESPNXZ5.com. Uh, and, you know, after the Olympics are over, as we talked about here, I'm going to have more uh, thoughts on Sochi and uh, Nene and Sergio Yo on HB Basketball. So you can find me there. I also write for Clutch fans. So working on my special project for them that uh, I look to have out before the season starts. So uh, you can find me on those three sides. And as always, you know, follow on Twitter at Rockets underscore Insider and join the conversation. Excellent. Thank you so much for the time, buddy. Thank you so much. As always, that was good stuff by Ollie. Again, I'm not totally discounting the Rudy Gay possibility. I'm just a bit skeptical. Because really, I don't see the Rockets giving up true value for him. And unless the Kings are really high on someone like KG McDaniels, I don't know if a Corey Brewer plus one minor prospect package is going to make that much sense for them. Because I also don't see Daryl Morey giving up a draft pick for a one-year rental of Rudy Gay. There's just not enough efficiency. I really don't think you're going to see Trevor Ariza supplanted as your small forward by Rudy Gay. It's just a bad defensive fit next to James Harden and also next to Eric Gordon. And you're going to see plenty of times when Harden and Gordon are playing uh, together in this lineup. So I really don't see the Rockets taking Trevor Ariza out just because of the configuration. I think Ariza's focus on defense and his ability to do things without the ball is a good fit next to the likes of Harden and uh, Eric Gordon. You can potentially throw Rudy Gay into the mix at power forward. I tend to think in these days in the NBA, if someone's a hybrid, you know, either a small forward or a power forward, they're typically going to play the bigger position because the game is trending smaller. And that's especially the case under Mike D'Antoni. So right now, as the roster is constructed, you know, you could have Rudy Gay as kind of a super Michael Beasley, uh, kind of upgrading that creator role off the bench. But there's still a little bit of an awkward fit there 
First off, his skill set is a little redundant with Ryan Anderson. Neither are particularly great defensively. They're both in the spacing mold. And also, if you bring Rudy Gay in for that role, I don't know what Donatus Yunus does. Because all of a sudden, if you've got Ryan Anderson, Rudy Gay, Nene, and Clint Capella in your front court, I don't know what the role for Demo is, so it may mean that he's going elsewhere. And as I said before, you know, at least on paper, the skill sets of Yunus and Ryan Anderson, if those are your two main power forwards you know, they bring differing skills to the table. So depending on matchups, you can play one or the other. Rudy Gay and Ryan Anderson, I mean, they're not exactly the same player. Um, Anderson is a little better shooter. Gay has a little more speed and quickness. But overall, their skills are fairly similar. So I don't know if uh, the fit is there like it would be for for Ryan Anderson and Monty Yunus. And that comes to the other thing, you know, is Gay good enough to just let Monty Yunus walk? So... I don't think that. I think you would have to have a plan for Monty Yunus to trade elsewhere. There's just a lot of dominoes that would have to, to fall. And while I would never count it out, certainly Rudy Gay has scored 20 points a game in the NBA, and guys like that don't grow on trees. I wouldn't write it off entirely. It's just not a huge need for the Rockets. And I also don't know what the Kings really get out of it that would be worth um, not just holding on to Gay themselves. So to me, it seems unlikely. The other thing to keep in mind is the sourcing, because it really seems like every day there's new life to these Rudy Gay rumors because there's a new headline. Over the past few days, I've seen pro basketball talk at NBC, along with the NBA blog over at CBSSports.com, and even ESPN's newsletter. All these agencies have all mentioned it. But every single time, there's no new news. It's all the same reference to the one paragraph in a, what, a column by Steve Kyler over at Basketball Insiders. This is where it helps to understand how these corporate beasts work. Clicks get advertising dollars, and advertising dollars are the lifeblood for sports media. Hence, you often get stories generated largely for the purpose of clicks. It's a very quiet time of year, and Rudy Gay is a somewhat big name. For all the criticism he takes, he's been a player in a U.S. national team before. The Rockets are also a pretty big franchise. So by putting that headline out there, you know, report Rockets interested in Rudy Gay, it's going to get some interest. And each time a new site puts it out there, it gets some retweets, and it feels like there's got to be something to the story. But in a lot of cases, it's just one big echo chamber. Each site is just using this Rudy Gay rumor to get their own hits. And that mentality is especially present this time of year, because in August and September, the rumor mill is so quiet, and everybody's desperate for content. So as a fan, I would urge you to always check the sourcing. In this case, while the rumor hasn't been invalidated, there's no more substance to it now than when Steve Kyler first wrote about it two weeks ago. You're just seeing a lot of websites repackage it for their own benefit. This is also why I have a policy personally that I really try not to criticize journalists who independently confirm information. Yes, you can take it to extremes like Chris Broussard does, and sometimes it can look like the journalist is trying to steal someone else's thunder. But in most of these cases with NBA scoops, the more confirmation, the better because there's a lot of misinformation out there, and everybody makes mistakes. Even Woj. I mean, remember when Woj had the Rockets picking Tyus Jones in the 2015 draft, only to have Daryl Morey go with Sam Decker a few moments later? It can happen to anybody. But the more reporters that can confirm a story, the less likely it is that somebody's being misled. You might have one reporter that gets misled by one or two sources, but when you get to three or four reporters hearing the same thing, then there's probably some truth to whatever the news is. In this particular case with Rudy Gay and the Rockets, not a single one of these reports that I've seen has ever involved someone else providing independent confirmation that they're hearing about these trade talks. 
Until that happens, I'm filing it away in my mind as something that's mildly interesting, but nothing that serious. As far as Steve Kyler, yes, he does have some sources, but, and I'm not criticizing him specifically, but here's the way sourcing generally works. Your true national reporters, and here I'm talking about Woj, Mark Stein, Shams Sharania, those types of guys, they are clued in at every level. They've got team sources, top agents, and guys at the NBA League office. Funny story about Woj, actually, and this is just a little aside. The day of the Harden extension, which caught everybody at Toyota Center by surprise, including the beat writers, even Jonathan Fagan and the Houston Chronicle, Calvin Watkins at ESPN, none of these guys knew this extension was coming. And the Rockets just kind of, the press conference was delayed for 30 minutes. They said the NBA was approving the contracts. We thought it was just for Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon, but I thought that was kind of funny because Anderson and Gordon's deals had leaked a week earlier. Why would the NBA still be processing those deals a week later? It didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And then they also said that they had a second announcement to stay tuned for. So I think the wheels in my mind and a few other people started turning. And then when we saw Harden entering the room, we immediately realized what was happening. And then, of course, they officially announced it. The press release went out, yada, yada. Well, before they announced it, before the press release came out, before anything happened, when Harden was literally walking into that room, Woj tweeted that the deal was done and he had the exact terms of the deal. And I'm telling you guys, it is not coincidental that Woj just happened to tweet that at the second Harden was walking into the room, you know, a few seconds in front of all of us, even though Woj himself was not in Houston. Someone at the league office told him, just as they gave the final okay to the Rockets, that, uh, you know, the deal was done. You can go, go ahead and formally announce it. And that's how Woj gets a lot of his scoop. You've also got the local beat writers, guys like Fagan at the Houston Chronicle and Watkins at ESPN. They generally get most of their intel from local team executives like Daryl Morey and those other guys in the basketball operations staff for the Rockets. They do speak some with agents, but most frequently what you hear from the local guys is from the team. And finally, you've got these hybrid reporters from sites like Basketball Insiders, which is where this Steve Kyler and Rudy Gay rumor originated. I can tell you guys from experience, the vast majority of these basketball insiders type reporters, they get their intel from the agent community. Here's why. Teams in the league office generally are not in the business of giving out secret information. They do it only because they sort of have to. Because there are some times that, you know, the Rockets or the NBA, they do want some control over how the message is conveyed. If they go entirely dark, they'd be completely giving up control of the message to everybody else. So they do pick a few guys with the team. It's typically the local beat writers like Fagan and Watkins. With the league office, it's the very top national writers like Woj and Mark Stein. And they kind of form a relationship. It generally involves also the writers who work for organizations with a large enough budget to consistently travel. Because a lot of these relationships are built over years, face-to-face -face meetings, and trust. Because the teams in the league office, they want to have some control over the message, but this is very sensitive information. And so they want to make sure that they understand the people that they're working with. Many times these mid-range sites like Basketball Insiders, they don't always have huge budgets. They're probably not doing the amount of travel that it takes to fully um, form that relationship at the league office level. With that said, there are plenty of people at Basketball Insiders that do good work. Steve Kyler runs the show. He's great. Alex Kennedy is great. Their information can still be accurate. 
And the way it works with sites like Basketball Insiders, they work within the one subset of the industry that is motivated to talk to everyone. That's the sports agencies. Sports agents and the people that work for them, they can definitely have loose lips with journalists because there's a clear mutual benefit to the relationship. The main job of the agent is to boost the visibility of his client, and if he can form a good relationship with a particular journalist, the better for exposure down the line. You know, if an agent forms a good relationship with a certain beat writer, he can feed him all sorts of stuff about his clients for promotion down the line. It's just kind of a you scratch my back, I'll, back, I'll scratch yours type relationship. And unlike with the teams and league office who try to restrict their media contacts to a select few, agents generally have a, an approach of the more the merrier. Because you know what? The end game is exposure for their client. The more they can get their client out in the public eye, the better. So when you have kind of a startup site, nine times out of ten, the place they're getting information is from the agents because that's the easiest place to break in in the cycle. And, you know, from an agent's perspective, how can you get in good with the journalist? It's obvious. Feed them scoops. However, in many cases, this leads to the agent getting a little too aggressive and trying too hard to get in the writer's good graces. Nobody's wrong, per se, because everyone's acting out of self-interest. But things can easily get pulled out of context. And if you go back to how Steve Kyler actually presented the information, he didn't put out a tweet or a story claiming that Gay to the Rockets was close, that he was hearing there's a deal in the works. It was just one vague reference in one paragraph of a larger story. That's one thing that tells me that he wasn't fully comfortable with just how accurate the story was. You know, he had heard it, but it wasn't something that he was just putting out there as something particularly serious. However, these blog sites, these repackaging, they take the one nugget, they take the juiciest thing, and they put it in the lead, in the headline, because that's going to get clicks. And all of a sudden, the story, while not inaccurate, it gets pulled out of context and gets made to seem like a more serious thing than it actually is. My guess on this Rudy Gay story is that the Rockets did check in on him, just like Daryl Morey checks in on a lot of guys. Is there a deal to be had? Uh, I guess if the price is low enough, and maybe if Rudy Gay were to waive his player option for the 2017-2018 season, you know, if he waived the player option, it would essentially be an expiring contract like the, uh, the Ty Lawson deal last summer. And, you know, it's possible. I just feel like a lot of people are blowing it out of proportion based on the headlines, and I hope this provides a little bit more context. With that said, I think that's a good place to end the show. Thanks again to Ali Bajani, the Rockets insider, for joining us with his takes on both Rudy Gay as well as the Olympics. You can follow him at Rockets underscore insider on Twitter, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ben DuBose. You can also follow and tweet the show at LockedOnRockets, and you can email us at LockedOnRockets at gmail.com with any longer questions or sponsorship inquiries. You can also follow our sister podcast, Locked On Texans, as part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we'll check back with you later in the week. Good night.